God our Father, Lord, hallowed be Thy name. Lord, we praise You for Your greatness, for Your amazing power, and Your amazing love. God, You are marvelous. You are wonderful, and we praise You. We are reminded today of the wonder of Your being. And so we bow our heads and our hearts before You in reverence. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh, Lord, that you have come down to this place, this rebel planet, and you have, as a suffering servant, humbled yourself and become obedient to death, even death on a cross, at the hands of godless men, even for our own rebellious sins and transgressions against you what wondrous love is this nevertheless god it is a picture of your amazing love and so we thank you we thank you for the privilege of coming to know you and to love you and to serve you and god it is our great desire now by your spirit to do exactly that so we love you we praise you We honor you and we thank you for your goodness. We pray this morning, God, as we look into your word, that you would encourage us in our faith and strengthen us, that you would help us to become more like Jesus, help us to truly be in our hearts, God, a people who love you and honor you, who are eager to do good and to glorify you with our lives. We thank you for all that you're doing in us. And we honor you and we bless you because of Jesus' holy cross. Amen. Okay, so I wanted to mention to you a couple of the books that I've been using as I've been studying for these classes. This one here is by Mark Deber, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. If you don't have this book, you should get it. We, we use this book also in training people in the church on evangelism. And um, you may not be aware, but every summer in place and in lieu of the Sunday school class, we have an evangelism training course that's going on. We had our, our first one last year, and we're hoping to do that again this year and every year thereafter, where we're just teaching people in the church how to evangelize and how to share the gospel. And as we do that, this is one of the resources that we recommend for for, uh, people to read. It probably would do you good to read this book several times. It's got a lot of really good practical stuff in it, okay? The Gospel and Personal Evangelism by Mark Dever, D-E-V-E-R. The other one I mentioned to you last week is, the last time we met, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. This is also another tremendous uh, book. Uh, resource on evangelism and and really kind of understanding evangelism from both the human side and the divine side. And uh, he really is not uh, so theological in this book as he is really practical about it. And so it's really helpful. So Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. Okay? Uh, No, sir. You'd have to go to uh, either uh, Amazon.com or I buy a lot of my books at christianbook.com I'm sorry goodsearch.com there we go somebody's 
Somebody's way ahead of me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the last time we did the make the book available thing, it didn't work out too well. We wound up having to pay for them instead of people paying for them. So I guess we'll have to forego that ministry. But uh, let's see here. So we're going to be starting today on page 114. And um, here we're kind of shifting gears from our topic of the gospel and understanding what the gospel is and, and, and what it is that Christ has done, what is the substance of the gospel and all of those things, to talking about sharing the gospel. And so, if you will, that's where we get the word evangelism. Evangelism, which is the English word that comes from the Greek word. See if I can spell this. Ewangelion. The evangel. Okay? Which simply means the gospel or the good news. Okay? And so that's where we get the term. And uh, uh, simply what evangelism is, is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, sharing the message, sharing the gospel, okay? And so, if you will, we want to talk about uh, evangelism and how it is presented in the scripture and, and what it is and what it means and maybe talk about some of the nature and characteristic of it uh, in the Christian life. But then also I want to try to before we close out for the end of the year, talk to you a bit about how uh, evangelism uh, really works in our postmodern culture because of the mindset of people and, uh, and, and maybe try to give you some practical tools for helping you to understand how to approach the gospel with postmodern people, which, by the way, we're all postmodern people, okay? So uh, basically what, what, what we mean is people who need to hear the gospel in, in this culture and in this day and age that we live in, okay? And so I'm going to uh, maybe talk a little bit about what postmodernism is and then kind of give you an understanding of that and then kind of help you understand the frame of reference that's going through people's minds, and uh, particularly in America, but, uh, uh, and then talk about then how to, how to apply the gospel in those situations. So uh, if you will, on page 114... Evangelism is our duty and privilege. As we have learned in some detail, the gospel is the message of Jesus Christ and what he has done to reconcile us to God and save us from sin and death. You know, I highlighted on my notes the words, what he has done. Are you with me? Hopefully by now. And in my thinking, this is the greatest thing that I have had to say since September and we've been going through this class. And it is this. The gospel is about what Jesus has done and who he is. Are you with me? It isn't, doesn't have anything to do necessarily with what you can do to please God. Okay, because there's there's really only one thing you can do to please God in this regard, and that is to believe on the one he has sent, that is Jesus, and in what he's done to reconcile us to himself. Okay, and again, what he has done to reconcile us to himself. And so the only thing we can do to the message of the gospel is respond to it. 
okay? But it is Christ who has our righteousness. It is Christ who has reconciled us to God by what he has done. Therefore, it is objective. It's outside of us. It's something that we look to for what we need. It's not in any way, shape, or form something we can do to please God. Are you with me? We simply believe upon what Christ has done. That's how we're reconciled to God. Jesus is our righteousness. Amen? And so we believe in him. We trust in him. The gospel is about what he has done. The fact that it is a message begs the question. So the gospel is a message. And this begs the question, who shall tell it? And of course, the obvious answer is Christians, those who have experienced the power and blessedness of his salvation. So if the gospel is a message about Jesus and what he has done to reconcile us to God, who's going to tell the message? Is it, is it, does it, you know, is it on the billboards or, you know, how, how is the message going to get put forth, right? And so, I mean, it's a really basic idea of which we've all probably heard many, many times, but we Christians are the ones who have the words of life. We're the ones who have the message. How is that? Because we're the ones who have experienced the power of it. Amen? Therefore, we are the ones who are uniquely qualified to share it. We know what we're talking about. Amen? Even if we know very little about what we're talking about, we know what we're talking about because we've experienced it. Amen? And so even a young Christian can share their faith. Agreed? And as you grow in your knowledge and in your understanding of the Scripture and of God's plan of redemption and of who God is and who Christ is and what he's done, you are becoming more and more qualified to share your faith. Amen? But really, all that's needful in the first place is for you to experience it. Amen? And then be able to articulate it. So it's a message. Who's going to tell it? Christians are. The reason uh, for this is twofold. First, it is our duty, and second, it is our privilege and delight. Let us first examine the fact that evangelism is the duty of Christians. It is a clear commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples, of whom all Christians are, to preach the gospel and to make disciples. Okay? So just want to make it really clear. Why is it our duty? Because Christ commanded us to evangelize, to share the gospel, to make disciples, okay? Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, he says there to his disciples, specifically to the 11, he's talking, and here's what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. One might assume that maybe Jesus was speaking only to his disciples who were to be his apostles, being that this command was given directly to them. So if you look in the context of Matthew 28, there it says that Jesus is actually meeting with the eleven, and he's speaking to the eleven, and this great commission, if you will, was given to the eleven. However, it is obvious here that the command extends beyond the eleven 
to all those who would come after them. This is because the command he gave them was for them to teach their disciples to observe everything I commanded you. Therefore, the command to make disciples, which obviously includes evangelism, extends to everyone who becomes a disciple of Christ through the ministry of the apostles, which includes every Christian in every age thereafter. Okay, so consider, when Jesus says to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples, right? He gives them a clear commandment, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, which includes what? The command to make disciples which he just gave them. Are you with me? This is where we see how in the Great Commission itself, it applies to all Christians everywhere in every age. Because we are all, if you will, the disciples of Jesus' disciples. Right? And so uh, here we see the commandment from Christ, really, for everyone who is a Christian, to make disciples. Now, in talking about making disciples, how can you make a disciple if you don't have initially a professing convert. Are you with me? Because the process of making disciples demands a commitment both on the part of the disciple maker and on the disciple to be discipled, right? To, to learn the disciplines of the one who's making the disciples. True? And so uh, if that be the case, obviously making disciples presumes that we have converts to make disciples with, Right? Those converts, those conversions happen in the process of evangelism. We tell people the gospel, they respond in repentance and faith, then we make disciples out of them. Everybody with me so far? So the command to make disciples very much encompasses within itself the process of evangelism, and here is a clear commandment from the Lord for us to do that, right? Not only that, but to teach everything that he commanded. Right. So the substance of disciple making is also given here. But the fact of the matter is it applies to all Christians everywhere in every age. Um, This is also affirmed by Jesus statement. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now consider what Jesus is saying. Right. He's he's giving that commandment to his apostles. But let me ask you a question. When is the end of the age? Right? Surely we would all agree the end of this age will happen at the second coming of Christ. Amen? And so, if you will, he's saying, I'm with you. I'll be with you during your entire pilgrimage as the church. Right? To help you to go and make disciples and teach them to observe everything I've commanded. Amen? So, there we can see how Jesus is affirming that that commandment is for all Christians everywhere in every age. Obviously, Jesus knew that this command would extend beyond the time of the disciples, even until our time. In fact, one of the reasons we were given the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit was to be a witness of Christ and to testify of the goodness of his salvation so that others may be saved. Remember, shortly thereafter, he has a meeting of 120 disciples, right? And there he says to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. You remember the comment that Jesus made about John the Baptist. And he said, of all of the prophets that went before, none are greater than John the Baptist. Right? But he who is what? Least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Any idea why that might be? Because we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And now we are preaching a message of a revealed mystery of God in Christ. The incarnate one who came and lived and died in our stead. Amen? Now we're preaching a gospel that God has made known now uh, to all nations everywhere. Whereas John the Baptist was looking forward to a Christ which was only the substance of promises and prophecy in the Old Testament... Now we look backward and we testify of the realities of the incarnate one who has come. Amen. Not only do we have greater knowledge of what we're preaching than John the Baptist had, but we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness of those things. Amen. If you will, God has now sent out an army of prophets into the world who are all empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak the good news of the gospel. Amen things of which the eyewitnesses have written for us so that we can study and know and testify of these things. Amen? Are you with me? And so here's what he says. He says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Right? And he even adds there, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so here again, Jesus kind of seeing the vision of how the church would extend even beyond the borders of Jerusalem out to the farthest place in the earth to do what? To be a witness of whom the Holy Spirit had empowered them to be. Amen? A witness of what? (laughs) Right? A witness of Him. You shall be my witnesses. Amen? Remember, Jesus is the gospel. Are you with me? The gospel is all about him and who he is and what he has done. And so, if you will, one of the reasons we have received the Holy Spirit is to be empowered to be a witness. And we ought to think about our evangelism in this way, family, that we've been empowered by the Spirit of God to share this good news. We've been empowered by the Spirit of God and given courage in the face of the resistance that comes in sharing the gospel. Amen? The issue that we've really got to face chiefly is the fear of man. We've got to overcome the fear of man and fear God instead. Okay, not only that, but he's given us the help of the Holy Spirit so that we can be witnesses and we can have that courage that we need. Are you with me? Okay. Not only is it clear that the church is the witness of Christ to each successive generation until he comes. But the ministry of evangelism is exactly how the church carried out Jesus' commands, as we see in the narrative of Acts. So if we're confused in any way about our role, okay, all we need to do is look to what happened with the apostles in the early church and what they were actually teaching their disciples to do. There we can see how their disciples lived out the teaching they were given, okay? And so, you know, I point to one specific spot, um, 
here in the book of Acts, although there are many, many, many places in the book of Acts where we see evangelism being carried out by the church. This one here is in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And there it says, this was just after the stoning of Stephen. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, that is Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Okay, two things to see here, or maybe even a few more. Number one, the, as a result of this great persecution that broke out after the stoning of Stephen, it says that the church was scattered Okay, they they fleed the persecution, which, by the way, they did at the commandment of Jesus, which might surprise you. But Jesus told his disciples back in Matthew 10, he said, if you persecuted in one place, flee to another. In other words, you don't necessarily have to put your family and all of your faith under the wicked hand of men. Right. Flee. If you have a place to flee to man, flee. Right? Who's not going to save his own skin in this, in this hour? Right? The point is, is that, look, uh, it's not necessarily a commandment of Christ that we have to give our life in the process of evangelism. He may demand that at some point, and we must be willing to give. Amen? But, but, uh, hey, we have, we have our families to think about, and we have to carefully consider what we're doing. Not only that, but hold the teaching of the Lord in, in balance. And understanding these things without chasing that rabbit any further. (laughs) Um, Another thing to see here is that as a result of the church being scattered to these regions of Judea and Samaria, notice it says, except the apostles. The apostles were not scattered with the church. They remained. Okay. However, it says that uh, because of the church scattering, verse 4, therefore those who had been scattered, what did they do? They went about preaching the word. Okay? Here we see the church being scattered because of persecution in Jerusalem and being scattered to the surrounding regions. The apostles, however, remained in Jerusalem. So here we see the members of the body of Christ individually going about and preaching the word wherever they went. Okay? Here's my point. How did the Christians live their everyday life? Okay? Answer, one way they lived is they lived a lifestyle of personal evangelism. We see that very clearly in Acts 8.4. Okay? Even after having been persecuted for being a Christian, they went about to that new place where they were and did what? Shared the word with that generation. Right? With that, with that location of people. And so this is consistent with the idea of the priesthood of all believers, where we have been called to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us. And so one of the things I'm trying to point out is, is that personal evangelism is a ministry of every Christian. 
Okay, it's not just the ministry of the apostles or the pastors or those who are uniquely gifted with evangelism. Let me tell you, some people are uniquely gifted with a, a, a gifting from God for evangelism. Okay, not everybody has the same degree of grace in that matter. Okay, however, that doesn't excuse any Christian from the personal responsibility of sharing the word of God and the good things that God has done for us. Okay, why? Because we are a royal priesthood. Okay, we are all now priests unto God, which what what does a priest do? Right. What is the ministry of a priest? Let me tell you to mediate between God and men. Okay, that's what a priest does. And in this sense, if you will, every believer through the gospel has an ability to mediate between God and men by preaching what the mediator who is Christ, right? And so <clears throat> I'm showing you how, even in under this persecution, how these believers were scattered, and when they were scattered, what the Bible said they do? They went about preaching the word. Their mouth was filled with the good news of the gospel wherever they went, even when it brought persecution. And so Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Listen, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, what does he mean? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, it means to go and tell people about your salvation. Amen. To to talk about the goodness and the greatness and the uh, of the grace of God in Christ and how he has brought you from darkness into light and shown you your sin and shown you your great need for a savior and saved you from sin and death and filled your heart with his peace and his joy and his love and his power. Amen. It means to go about and proclaim those excellencies of what God has done. Amen. We of all people should not have our mouth closed. Are you with me? We've got something to say. I mean, if you're truly a Christian and you've truly been born again by the Spirit of God, your heart is filled with the love and the joy and the peace of the Spirit. Amen? And the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. Is that true about us? Why would we keep such... Great light under a bushel. Are you with me? It's not logical. <laughs> it doesn't make rational sense for those of us who've been saved not to share it. Because it surely is the great desire of our heart to see people be saved and experience what we've experienced. Amen? Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. Later, in the same context, Peter tells us to be ready to make a defense or to give an answer for the hope that you have. And in chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Okay? And so he says, always be ready to give a defense. Or to, or to give an answer for what? For the hope that you have, listen, to everyone that asks. Question. 
Is anybody asking? You know, is it evident that you have a great hope that other people don't have? Right? Well, it is if you're living and walking by the Spirit of God. Because those who walk in the Spirit are filled with joy. They're filled with hope. Right? And even though they don't see Christ now, they love Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Amen? That's how the Bible describes it. And so a question, is that joy, is that hope, is it evident to people around you so much so that they're asking, what is it about you, man? Or even a step further, do they even need to ask? Because you've already told them what it is about you. (laughs) Yeah, true. Then they don't want to hear it. We're going to talk about that too. Not always. Mm-hmm. That certainly happens, right? But I'd also like to suggest that those whom God has called do want to hear. Even if initially they show their fangs. Maybe you showed your fangs one time or two or ten. How many of you showed your fangs when you heard the gospel? Look at that. Well, that must have been about 25%, 20% of people there, Right? You know, we don't want to hear that we're sinners and we're under the condemnation of a holy God, right? That's not a very favorable message for anybody, amen? As a matter of fact, there's nothing worse you could tell them to ruin their day. Are you with me? I mean, truly. Is there any worse thing you could possibly say? You with me? No wonder it's met with resistance. And it is. So much so, they put him on a cross. And if we do it perfectly, you know where we're headed. Right? Same cross. After all, he did say, follow me. Amen? So, it is rather clear from Peter's statement that unless we are acting as Christ's witnesses, Acts 1.8, and proclaiming his excellencies, 1 Peter 2.9, that we will have no need to make a defense to anyone because no one will be asking about our hope because it will not be evident. But if we are in fact living as lights in the world, and that quote comes from Philippians 2:15 and 16, and his praise is continually in our mouth, and that quote comes from Psalm 34:1, people will be rather curious how we can always be so joyful and encouraged in a world that is falling apart around us. You see, there's something different about Christians. I mean real Christians. I mean the born-again kind, the kind where the Spirit of God lives inside of them. There's something very different about them from everybody else in the world. Okay? They have a living hope. They have a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory, that has been given to them from outside of them. It's a supernatural joy. It's a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that lives in every single Christian. Okay? And it makes us shine like lights in the world. Because people in the world don't have the kind of hope that we have. You know how I often remind you how ready I am to die. Right? Hopefully on the day when i got to go, I'm as ready on that day as I am today. Right? You with me? But, but the point is, is that, you know, for the Christian, 
death is just the portal into glory. Amen? I mean, that's my great hope. I can't wait to get out of this place. Are you with me? My poor daughter, Jessica, I think I infected her with that. Because every time we meet, you know, she's she's always saying this. You know, Dad, I, you know, I, I want to go to heaven. This place is tough stuff, man. And it is. How many of you realize the world is tough stuff? Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Amen? But see, we have this hope. I mean, my life is just beginning. I got saved 18 years ago, right? Man, I just stepped in the front door. The glory of God awaits me forever and ever, world without end. Are you with me? How about you? See, nobody in the world has that hope. Nobody in the world has that hope. None. Zero. But every Christian is assured of it by the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit bears witness that we are the children of God. Amen? And we have this Spirit that cries, Abba, Father. We know who God is. We know God has saved us. We know where we're headed. And we know we have the hope of glory. Amen? So why fear men? Why not open up our mouth and speak? Are you with me? As I heard John Piper say recently, the worst they can do is kill you. True? So says Jesus. Amen? Don't fear men, but fear God. Amen? And so then, this is exactly what Christians do. We have this hope. And, and when people see it, we need to be what? Ready to give an answer. Ready to make a defense for that hope that we have. Ready to tell them, look, man, here's why I have hope. I've been saved by the power of God. Right? Whoa, man, you're one of those radicals. Yeah, you bet I am. You bet I am. I'm one of those radicals. Because I'm indwelt with a supernatural power from God. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you how it's affected my marriage. Let me tell you about how it's affected my family. Let me tell you how it's affected people in my life. Let me tell you how God has just filled my heart with joy and peace and hope. Let me just tell you about all the goodness of God that I'm experiencing since this happened to me. Amen? You with me? That's how Christians live, and people ought to be asking, what is it about you, man? Not only are these things true, but Paul clearly describes our evangelistic ministry to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There he explains that knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Okay? Now here's Paul's topic. Paul's topic is, and I think it's in the New King James there, it says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Okay, here in the NASB it's translated as fear. Either way, it's not a good word. Terror, fear, it's a bad thing in this sense. Okay, you understand? Knowing of the terrible nature of the wrath of God, We try to persuade men, okay? And he's going to launch into this whole discourse about persuading men because of the fear of the Lord. And uh, he he goes on there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he speaks to us about our evangelistic ministry as Christians. There, he explains that knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, and this is because the love of Christ controls us And so therefore, we Christians no longer live for ourselves, 
but for him who died and rose again. You see, we, we don't live for ourselves anymore. Right? Well, we live for ourselves, but, but the great end in us living for ourselves is to what? Serve Christ, who is our Lord and Master and King. A- amen? The one who saved us from sin and death. The one who rose again. The one who has the keys to death and hell. The one who's at the right hand of God, even now, ruling over the nations of men. Amen? You with me? He's our Lord and King, and He's the one to whom we live. Not only that, the Scripture says here, it's the love of Christ that controls us. And this is why we persuade men, Paul says. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11, and then 14 through 15, he says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men... But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also to your consciences. He goes on, verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that though who, those, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. In other words, we've been saved. And we, don't, we no longer have a natural outlook on who Christ is. He's not just some Jewish carpenter who was killed by, by the government back 2,000 years ago, right? No, he's the living Christ who gave his life in sacrifice and rose from the dead and who reigns on high at the right hand of God, who is a soon coming conquering king. Amen? And, and we no longer regard Christ in the flesh any longer. But now we understand who he is in all of his supernatural glory and power. Amen? Not only that, but we don't regard people in the flesh any longer. Now we realize they're all poor sinners that need to be saved from the wrath of God. Because there's a coming wrath. And they need to flee and find shelter under the cross of Christ. Amen? And we no longer regard men after the flesh. We no longer think about them like we did when we were once in the world with a carnal and a natural mind. Right? Now we think about them like God thinks about them with the supernatural revelation that we've gotten by God through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay, so then. This persuading of men, Paul tells us, is because... We have become new creatures in Christ and we have received the ministry of reconciliation from God. And now because of this, we are ambassadors of Christ who entreat others to be reconciled to God. This is what we are persuading men to do. What are we persuading men to do? Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.11. Well, We're persuading him in verse 19 to be reconciled to God. I'm sorry, verse 20. To be reconciled to God. We're persuading men to be reconciled to God. Why? Because the love of Christ controls us. And we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. And therefore, we've become a new creature in Christ. And we've been given the ministry of reconciliation and are now ambassadors for Christ. Are you with me? And so we persuade men to be reconciled to God. You see all that right there in the Bible? Is it crystal clear? It's right there in the black and white. Amen? And so 
Family, this is our duty as Christians. Listen, we have received the ministry or the service of reconciliation. And we don't live for ourselves any longer. We live for him who died for us. Okay? And so as ambassadors of Christ, right, we seek to persuade men to be reconciled to God. And listen, Christ has already done all the work. Right? We simply have to tell others about the message. We simply have to tell them about Jesus. It's just a message. And the, the, the amazing thing is, God has chosen preaching to get the message across. I, I'm not saying just preaching in a pulpit. I'm saying just being a herald of the good news that is in Christ. Are you with me? That makes you a preacher and me a preacher. Okay? I mean, we're all Christians, right? And we're all following Jesus, right? Which means we're going where he goes and doing what he does, right? Or let me get that right. We are going where he went and doing what he did. Thank you. I want to get that right. <laughs> uh, so the point is, is that if we're following Christ and doing what Christ did, then we're going to be what? Gospel preachers. Because here's what Jesus did. The first thing he did when he opened his mouth, the day his ministry started, after he was baptized, went up into the wilderness to be tempted, he came back down. Scripture says he opened up his mouth and he said this, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus was a gospel preacher. Okay? He was preaching the good news of, or the gospel of the kingdom, which had now come in his person. Amen? And since we're all following Jesus, guess what? At some level or degree, we're all preachers of the gospel. We're all, in, in this sense, heralds. That's what it means to preach, to herald. Okay? You know, it's like the newspaper boys running through the street, right? Uh, what's he say? Extra, extra, yeah, read all about it, right? I got the message here. It's here on my book, right? Read it, right? And so that's what we all are. In a sense, we're heralds of the message, Okay, we're preachers of the gospel. And so, if you will, that's my brief attempt to show that it's our duty as Christians to speak the good news. Okay, and in the interest of time, I'm going to move on from there. We, we really only have, I think it's five weeks of class left. So I'm going to try to make my points brief because you know I have this uh, tendency to kind of ramble. Yeah. Please forgive me. And this brings us to our second point. That is our great delight and privilege to share the good news of the gospel with others. Now, let me tell you something, family. I want you to think about it like this. Yeah, it's our duty. We know that. Pastors have been telling us that since the beginning of time, right? Or since there was pastors, (laughs) right? We all know it's our duty, okay? I really don't have to convince you of that. The Holy Spirit has already done that. But let me tell you, it's our privilege and our delight. Can we look at it like that? Can we enjoy God as we evangelize? Even when they're resisting, I think we can. I think if we understand it right, and we know what we're telling them, we know the message, which I hope by now we know the message. How many of you know the message by now? Great. I've only got about... 14% to work on there. 
That's pretty good, though, 86% or something like that. They all they know the message by now. I'm teasing, obviously. It's our privilege and it's our delight to share the gospel. Is it not? I mean, think about the joy that has been brought to you because God gave you the faith to trust Christ. Amen? I mean, is there any thing that you would rather see your fellow man have than to have Christ and have what you have. Amen? It's a great purpose and meaning for Christians to live their life for this very thing. See, here's what makes us so empty and miserable. We live our life for lesser things. Instead of storing up our treasure in heaven, right, we're busy storing it all in barns here on earth. You with me? Is it not the great desire of our hearts now that we have received the mercy of God in Christ to see others come to faith and repentance and be saved? Isn't this what Paul meant when he said, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men? In fact, one must wonder if so-called Christians have no desire to see others saved if they really be Christians at all. But in fact, we do want to see people be saved, as this is one of our chief desires in life now. It gives us meaning and purpose as Christians, as we have a sincere love for our fellow man and wish for them to be reconciled to God and to find the hope and peace that we have received in Christ. Amen? Isn't it the great desire of our heart to see people be saved? Surely it is for every true Christian. More than this, it is because we have a great love for God that we would not keep silent about the glory of his grace to us in Christ and that we shall tell it to the ends of the earth. Can you kind of feel that fire burning in your bones that you want to go out and you want to share? That's the Holy Spirit compelling you of the goodness of God and that it's a message to be shared. Amen? So much so Christians are willing to give their life, even their family, to move to some place in Africa and, and talk to people they don't even know how to speak their language and give their whole life in service just to tell somebody about Jesus. Are you with me? That's because we're fueled by this fire of desire to see people be saved. Amen? It's our delight. It's our privilege. This is something that glorifies God in a very distinct and direct way. Think about this. When you're preaching the gospel to people, you are glorifying God. You're glorifying God in a way that is very direct. It's very specific, pointing to the cross of Christ, which is the chief thing that God has done in the history of mankind. And when you tell people about Christ, you are announcing the glory of God, just like those angels that showed up on that, uh, you know, when we celebrate Christmas morning, right? Those angels showed up and they had a message, didn't they? The king has come, amen, which is exactly what we're telling people. And think of the glory of God that we announce when we tell people about Christ. Are you with me? Is there a greater glory than Jesus? There's not. Think about how it glorifies God. When we speak of the excellent greatness of the salvation of God through Christ Jesus, we are telling forth the high praises of God for the greatest thing he has done in all of history. 
This magnifies the greatness of the mercy of God in Christ and causes people to see the whole purpose of God in creation. Family, if you would just get a hold of this thing, that that the cross of Christ is the most important event in the history of mankind. That is such a springboard for evangelism. Because you can begin to tell people of a sovereign God who rules the universe, who created us for this very purpose, that, 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 the, that the dramatic uh, plan of redemption could be lived out in the course of the history of mankind. So that ultimately, I could be here with you on this day, sharing this gospel with you so that you could be saved from your sins and be reconciled to God. Are you with me? Which is what it's all about. Are you with me? And, and, and so, um, when we tell people about God, it magnifies the greatness of the mercy of God. In short, listen, sharing the gospel in evangelism glorifies God in a way that speaks directly to God's plan of redemption like no other things we can say. Okay? So, what's the most important thing God has done? Right? It's to manifest himself in Christ through the gospel. Are you with me? And and that's what we want to tell people about. When we do that, we are speaking the high praises of God. We are proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. When we tell people about Jesus, when we tell people about the cross, when we tell people about the, the grace of God in Christ and how he's offering to freely forgive us rebels of our sin. Family, that's a way to glorify God like no other, let me tell you. Consider this quote from J.I. Packer in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. May I stress again, if we ourselves have known anything of the love of Christ for us, and if our hearts have felt any measure of gratitude for the grace that has saved us from death and hell, then this attitude of compassion and care for our spiritually needy fellow men ought to come naturally and spontaneously to us. It was in connection that Uh, that aggressive evangelism that Paul declared that the love of Christ controls us, 2 Corinthians 5.14. It is a tragic and ugly thing when Christians lack desire and are actually reluctant to share the press's knowledge that they have with others whose need of it is just as great as their own. It was natural for Andrew, when he found the Messiah, to go off and tell his brother Simon, and for Philip to hurry to break the good news to his friend Nathaniel, John 1.40. They did not need to be told to do this. They did it naturally and spontaneously, just as one would naturally and spontaneously share with one's family and friends any other piece of news that vitally affected them. There is something very wrong with us if we do not ourselves find it natural to act in this way. Let us be quite clear about that. It is a great privilege to evangelize. It is a wonderful thing to be able to tell others of the love of Christ, knowing that there is nothing that they need more urgently to know and no knowledge in the world that can do them so much good. Are you with me? Are you with him? (laughs) I am. I understand. It's a serious matter, family. It is an important and an urgent thing for us to share the gospel with people. Okay, And his point is, it's natural for Christians to share the gospel. I'd like to suggest it's supernatural, 
And I know he knows that too. But his point is, is that it's the natural response of those who have been born again. Are you with me? Because it's such a wonderful thing. Who's not going to want to go tell the people they love about it? Amen? And if you love God and you love your fellow man, that means you love everybody. Amen? And there's no knowledge or news in the world that's more urgent to tell people and no other knowledge that can do them so much good than to tell them of the gospel. Amen? And even though they show their fangs, okay, it is the most loving thing you can do to tell people they're sinners, they're on their way to hell, and Christ is the way that God has provided to save them because of his great love and his free grace and mercy. He's offering to forgive them and to invite them into his family and bless them forevermore. Amen? We've got to see it this way. We have got to see it this way because this is how it is in truth. It is the most urgent news that any man can possibly hear. Amen? It's important. Dear friends, let us consider the great need of the lost people around us. How important and serious is the issue of salvation? We should consider it a great privilege to have the knowledge of Christ and on this basis, a great privilege to share it. Is it not the most important thing in the life of anyone we know? Will it not do them more good than anything else you can say or do for them? Is it not the highest act of love to tell them how to be saved and reconciled to God? It is indeed, and therefore let us open our mouths and tell of his wondrous grace. Furthermore, let us consider what a shame it is to withhold the gospel from those who so desperately need it. I want you to hear what he's got to say about the shame for Christians for not sharing the gospel. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I'm trying to get you to think about truth. Okay? Think about this. G.I. Packer goes on. We should not, therefore, be reluctant and backward on the personal on the personal and individual level. We should be glad and happy to do it, that is, share the gospel. We should not look for excuses for wriggling out of our obligation when occasion offers to talk to others about the Lord Jesus Christ. If we find ourselves shrinking from this responsibility and trying to evade it, we need to face ourselves with the fact in this we are yielding to sin and Satan. If, as is usual, it is the fear of being thought odd and ridiculous or of losing popularity in certain circles that holds us back, we need to ask ourselves in the presence of God, ought these things to stop us from loving our neighbor? If it is a false shame, which is not shame at all, but pride in disguise, that keeps our tongue from Christian witness when we are with other people, we need to press our conscience this question, which matters more, our reputation or their salvation? We cannot be complacent about this gangrene of conceit and cowardice when we weigh up our lives in the presence of God. What we need to do is to ask for grace to be truly ashamed of ourselves and to pray that we may so overflow with love for God that we will overflow in love for our fellow men and so find it an easy and natural and joyful thing to share with them the good news of Christ. Amen? Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, 
that what we need to do is ask for grace to be truly ashamed of ourselves? That really struck me. Because, you know, so often my heart is cold. And my heart is unwilling to put up with the conflict and the resistance that comes when sharing the gospel. And I'm sure you fight the same battle. But I I think this is something I really desperately need from God. I need to see the shame in not sharing the gospel of Christ. Am I with the crowd that said, crucify him, crucify him? Or Or am I with the disciples who were mourning and crying and weeping as they drug him off to kill him? Are you with me? And now that he's conquered over death and hell, he's triumphed over the grave, he's at the right hand of God, he's delivered to us the peace and the joy. Family, we have got a message to tell. we got a story to tell. Amen? Are you with me? It's a shameful thing, frankly, when, when we are reluctant to share Christ. You think about on the day that we face God and we stand in heaven before all the angels. The most glorious thing there is Christ and his gospel. And it's not going to be a shame there. And that's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God because it's the power of God unto salvation. Amen? Neither should we be ashamed of the gospel. Are you with me? And may God give us grace to feel ashamed when we are ashamed of the gospel. Amen? And may God give us strength and courage to open up our mouth and to do this act of love, to tell people what they need to hear. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Father, Lord, you know the great struggle of your people, Lord, to to witness to a lost and dying world. And uh, Father, we just we just uh, we look to you for grace. We look for you uh, for your grace, so that we are having compassion for our fellow man. So that it is our delight. Give us grace, God, so that it's our delight to share the gospel. Give us power that we consider it to be a privilege, Father. Oh, Lord, strengthen us against the conflict and the resistance, and help us to find a gracious spirit in order to embrace the conflict that people have and to to truly show a compassionate heart to them and and give us knowledge that we can explain the gospel in a way that meets their need and meets their situation in their life. God, we just pray for a supernatural ability to be your witnesses. Oh, how we long to be your witnesses, God. Strengthen us in our faith so that we can tell others of your wonderful grace. We honor you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.